For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. I'm Susan Arndt, and you're listening to The Geek Show on 104.5 CVFM, because you have excellent taste. Oh, you do it. Good. <laughs> Somehow we all turned into Joy Tribbiani. We did. <laughs> or some kind of Italian fella. Well, American Italian, sorry. Yes. Let's get it right. No, right. We're not racist here. No. Much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Welcome. It's uh, five o'clock on Sunday. You're with The Geek Show. Indeed you are. Where else would you be? Somewhere in a field in Hampshire. All right. That, that's one place. <laughs> It's pulp. It's that pulp song. Yeah, um, oh, you know, yeah. I lost my brain somewhere in a field in Hampshire. Definitely. I don't know why. I never, I never, never got the connection together. There. I'm it's because your brain is also some. Your brain is somewhere on Hampstead Heath. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's going to be you, one of those shows. I'm okay. Good. It is going to be one of those shows. It though. is the same type of show we have every week. Indeed, we do have a point to this show. We're not quite sure yet what that point is it's not sharp though after, uh, after three years of doing this we're yeah. still not quite sure what our actual <laughs> point is yeah, I'm we sure have someone one. will figure out in their own we have topic. one we do I'm pretty sure we have one oh excellent but I forgot where I put it <laughs> down yes anyway we do have news 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 Chris has started Bra- Brazilian Jiu Jitsu I have yes he's gone Brazilian on us yeah <laughs> that's great <laughs> 
It's so being, breezy. I was about to say. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, that's not what I, what we're actually talking about. Um, Pretty amusing, though, if it was true. Yes. Uh, researchers at Rice University, our lead story, they have... Uh, Rice University in Houston, sorry. Uh, they've calculated the properties of a new form of carbon that promises more strength and stiffness, their words... Stiffness. Uh, yes, than any other known material... They call it carbine. Boner. Yeah. Carbine. And it's a chain of carbon atoms linked either by alternate triple and single bonds uh, uh, or just by consecutive double bonds. And it's quite something. Their mathematical models predict that carbine is a little stronger than both graphene and diamond and around twice as stiff as the stiffest known materials. It's also fairly flexible. Um, and it's a bit like a strand of DNA. I think they should pick a better name, and it'd be great to see that in an episode of Sherlock Holmes, like where the guy put a bit of diamond on the glass and then the chewing gum and then smashed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Super materials, graphene, diamond, okay. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Diamond, we know. But, you know, I just get it. Well, okay, you want a new super material. I have no problem with this. Yeah. I have no problem with new discoveries or Why anything like that. Why can't people just make superpowers? That's Wait, my point. I, I wish mutants You're were wasting in. all this research money on this instead of developing phenomenal cosmic powers. Healing factors, super speed, superior strength, greater intellect for special people like myself. Yes, but I know for a fact that the, your superpower would be invisibility. It would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be invisibility and you would change your name to Tom. It would be. <laughs> Peeping. <laughs> no, uh, you're people, Tom. I am people, Tom. <laughs> I peeps on the people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Design costumes and send them in. Now, uh, this new discovery, it proves one thing. It proves one thing, right? They're brilliant at coming up with super materials. They're brilliant at research, stuff like that. But they're not so good at coming up with names for these things. Definitely. Carbine. What kind of a name is carbine? Of all the things, what? who came up with this? Did they have like a... Uh, you know, did they have just kind of some focus group for this? And say, yes, we're going to come up with this name for a new super material... What are the options? Well, we've already gone through diamond. We've already gone through graphene, which made from carbon. I know. Let's call it carbine. Hmm. Of all the things. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Second news story. Area 51 is real. Yes, you heard it. Uh, all those conspiracy theorists might have been onto something. Area 51 is real. The U.S. government has actually confirmed this. I knew uh, it. It's... The probings were true. <laughs> the what? The probings. The probings. It's where people get probed. Right, okay. Um, that uncomfortable place. This basically ends decades... Like Volkswagen. Uh, yeah, this basically ends decade after decade of leaks, documents, and various things like that. Uh-huh. Right? Um... The National Security Archive at George Washington University put, has published this report, The Secret History of the U-2, and within its pages are numerous references to Area 51, which the U.S. used as a secret test facility for the Cold War-era plane. 
Describing how they came to settle on that particular, now notorious, piece of Nevada land, the report states, On the 12th of April 1955, Richard Bissell and Colonel Osmond Ritland, the senior Air Force officer on the project staff, flew over Nevada with Kelly Johnson on a small Beechcraft plane, piloted by Lockheed's chief test pilot, Tony LeVere. They spotted what appeared to be an airstrip by a salt flat known as Groom Lake, near the northeast corner of the Atomic Energy Commission's Nevada Proving Ground. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Groom Lake? Yes. Enough said. Mm. It's all right. Area 51. Do you know why, they, do you know why ev- they were always able to deny the existence of Area 51? No. Because they never called it Area 51. They called it The Ranch. Hmm. Isn't that it's what... Like the Paradise Ranch. It, was, it went by the it name Paradise like Ranch. It sounds like a cult religion. Yeah. It, they called it that in Independence Day. The Ranch. Yeah. Roland Emmerich. Emmerich was right. Yeah. Oh, what's that, what's that term where they give people the snip? Circumcision? <laughs> uh, not that one. But I don't think it's the same. Sort of. The, the one yeah. where you can't... Unix. Get... Yes. <laughs> Castration. Yes, that's the one. Uh, How did like we get onto place. that? I don't know. My mind goes to weird places. We know this. True. Uh, yeah. So, Area 51 is real. <laughs> so what? We most pe- most, most people took it for granted that it was most real. Most people would be super excited about it. all those documentaries and people getting chased around on YouTube. Yeah, uh, and now that all those people who got hounded by all the trolls on YouTube oh, can yeah. turn around and say, well, I was right. Yeah, exactly. If you say something like, uh, Area 51 is real and it's run by lizard people, but like, oh my word, that's I that's, thought the Queen was news. a lizard. She is. Yeah, all the people queen. in power are lizard people. Definitely. According to who? TV program, I can't remember the name of. And he also released great books on it as well. V. Oh, v. God. You can't V. Is it V? I, it's I'm V. Not t- I'm not too sure. No, he was, was, that, was, it, it, was like, that footballer? Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, he went nuts and thought everyone was like lizard creatures. Yeah. No, no, it's, a, it's, a TV, X, it? it's a TV sci-fi called V. Oh, no, I'm talking it's about a real person. Bit, you know. No, we're talking about a real person. He used to be a footballer. TV's real. <laughs> it very much is. <laughs> Says all the Doctor Who fans. <laughs> I've seen it. It's in the room. It stares at me. I'll, I'll see if I can find that book about the guy who thinks the real lizards. I'll lend it to you. <laughs> it's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pretty much, it just prepare to seem like you've took acid when you read this. Yes. This is weird. Um, moving on. <coughs> Street View wow. got arrested. Uh, a Google Street View driver in Thailand was placed under citizen's arrest by a group of villagers. Oh, yeah. Um, basically, uh, in northern, uh, this northern Thai village, where the incident took place, uh, Sa Eab, uh, apparently they have a long history of protesting dam building. So when the Google Street View car turned up, they thought it was somebody working for another company wanting to build a dam, uh, you know, doing a bit of snooping. So they surrounded him, Arrested him and threw him in the, uh, and took him to the temple where he had to swear on a statue of Buddha <laughs> that he wasn't there for anything untoward. He was just back in the streets. I can see this is one that you clearly picked because it made you laugh. But in reality, it's not really that interesting. <laughs> nah. The Google Street View car that's labelled Google all over it. Just because something's got a label on it doesn't make it so. I learned this from advertising. <laughs> it's one of life's many lessons. So, what would you do if you would if you were driving a Google Street View car and surrounded by a mob? 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't really think on that sort of plane if it happened. <laughs> I'd say, look, aliens, and then run away the other way. Direction. <laughs> but they wouldn't really understand me considering it's Thailand, so. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I love Thailand. I th- I thing is, after there. after the guy basically uh, uh, basically swore on the statue of Buddha, they let him go and then apologized to um, to the driver, to Google, to the people of Thailand and the world in general. <laughs> oh, I wish they kept it going. They could have kept the car. <laughs> Definitely. Anyway, moving on. This one's one of those. Uh, it's funny because it's true stories. You know the Tesla. The Tesla, the electric supercar. Yes. That uh, no, you know, you know that fellow who's been in the news lately, Elon Musk. He wants to do the uh, hyperloop ah. from one half uh, from one side of America to the other, so that they can travel from one side to the other in about thirty minutes, something like that. Um, he's the one who came up with uh, the Tesla electric supercar. But the funny thing about this is, it's an electric supercar. It drove uh, the guy who was driving it drove into. An electricity pole, smooth, and caused a huge blackout. <laughs> that doesn't work. It should be anime logic. It's like the fire guy gets exploded in the fire; he becomes twice as powerful. Yeah. So if an electric car gets exploded with electricity, it the becomes it becomes a real out. car, <laughs> not just a toy car, like these the, things are. The thirty-four-year-old woman who was driving the car said that she was messing with the radio because apparently they work in Teslas. <laughs> At the time of the crash. Oh God! The thing is, uh, I mean, if you look, if you look, it's quite a hefty electricity pole. Wow! <laughs> how, much, how much speed was she doing to knock it down like that? Twenty-five. That's the fastest source thing you can go. <laughs> Illegal limits. Because you know how they work. They work through kinetic energy. They got a little thing on the side. You twist it. You twist it. You twist it. <laughs> and you keep on twisting it. Then you let go, and it goes zoom. <laughs> And it goes about 100 metres, and then you got to get out, and you twist it, twist it, twist it, <laughs> let go, zoom. Is this before it turns off to the left? Nightmares are a corner. I blame the speed force. <laughs> Nightmares are an absolute nightmare in those things. Definitely. <laughs> right, anyway, moving on. W- about the ones that you drag back and then set off. <laughs> yeah. Because you've got to push those back first, and then you've got to jump into the car before they start moving. Yeah, exactly, and it's exercise and driving. Don't remind me about pushing cars. <laughs> A406 in London, my brother's car broke down. And I had to get out and push. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. It's like cars going by at like 50, 60 miles an hour. And I'm there just pushing this uh, tiny Austin Metro. It'd be funny <laughs> if you were stuck in central London having to push this car the entire way around, like five steps. And, and, you're, and you realise you're going faster than cars that have actually got an engine working. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Zing! Yes. <laughs> uh, he's been to London, he knows. Right, WTF award number one, Space Nutella. It sounds awesome already. Right, um, there's uh, been a recent $1 million year-long NASA study which put six people in a domed simulation of Mars on an isolated slope of a Hawaiian mountain. It's just finished, and they were using that to test what kind of foodstuffs people would last for... Uh, you know, would last on a trip to Mars and then on Mars and various other things like that. You know, what people would get used to, what people craved, all these things. Because they're trying to trying to get ready for a manned mission to Mars. Will and it take a very, very, very long time? Well, it will, but that's why they need the food, right? They were testing all sorts of different foodstuffs. And... 
pre, uh, pre-packaged food and mm-hmm. lasted well. Even freeze-dried food, you know, tasted uh, tasted pretty good after a while. Hunger is the best sauce uh, after uh, all. Best solution: pot noodles. No, <laughs> pot noodles will last the nuclear apocalypse with you know. Tesco's ten pence noodle packets, curry flavor. They're a great. With Piers Morgan and, and yeah. scorpions. And all the other rubbish nobody wants. You mean? I think I just advertised for Tesco. Didn't Scorpions, they? cockroaches. Yes. Well, maybe Nutella is on there as well because what they found was that um, after a while the food got boring and people started craving kind of comfort foods. Um, and top of that list was Nutella. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> Apparently, Nutella can survive <laughs> for, for at least a year in space after you've opened the jar. They were actually rationing it between them so the jar would last a year. Wow, a jar. <laughs> Bet they fought over that. Who's got their finger full of this time? <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> oh, gosh. Can you imagine the astronauts on the International Space Station? All right, everyone pull sticks. Who gets to the scoop? <laughs> Who wants to spread it? <laughs> yeah. Don't go there. It took a while, but anyway, WTF award number two, um, Earth's copper ring. Right, not touching it. (laughs) (laughs) Some people do. Well, this is another Cold War story. You remember Ronald Reagan had the brilliant idea of the Star Wars defense Reagan smash. Yeah, basically it was (laughs) like lasers in space to shoot down nuclear missiles, stuff like that. Back in the early nineteen sixties, they it was. Uh, just a bit less than a decade before the manned mission to space, uh, to the moon, sorry, they were planning an emergency communication system and they found that there there were a lot of limitations with what they could do with over-the-horizon radio. So the Americans had this bright idea, let's put a giant copper ring around the, uh, uh, into orbit around the Earth and we can use that. And so they launched loads and loads of copper into space so it came back down some of it came back down some of it clumped together in space and became debris which is now a danger to the ISS and various other things oh Reagan it wasn't Reagan it was in the 1960s well he still smashed (laughs) he must have been smashed Uh, I mean it was pretty much doomed from the beginning NASA sent the first batch up in 1961 and it failed to deploy leaving all of that copper wire each piece uh, <laughs> a little less than two centimetres long uh, and the spacecraft floating use- uselessly in orbit. You see, this is terrible. If Chavs had the ap- ap- capacity to go into space, we'll get to stay that all. <laughs> to be honest, sooner some hear the news that they're going to try. Yeah. You always get a bit in a uh, skip full of stuff. Do you oh, need that yeah. copper? Can we take that copper? No. Go away. Get yeah. a job. Oh, Going to space. That. Someone should do that. Chav Science on YouTube. Have you seen him with lead? <laughs> Intergalactic. Seaton Carew Beach, there's a building that's now closed down. Like, one week all the lead was there. I drove past two days later and it was all gone. Yes. I'm not surprised. All of it. I'm just thinking. Oh, it's like, cool. like Glastonbury. It was gone as soon as it was on sale. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> the only difference is they can't afford decent toilets. Nah. Yeah, this nah. is true. <laughs> Last news story. That was it. That was it. That was the news. Yes, that was the news. Hi, I'm Destiny Blue, the anime artist, and I like drawing and the Geek Show, which you are currently listening to. 
Welcome back to 104.5 CVFM Radio. This is The Geek Show. Chris McGuinness speaking. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like I'm going to be sold some shoddy merchandise. <laughs> no. Do you need Viagra? Well, we don't have any. <laughs> I thought he was just going to open his coat and say, do you want to buy a watch? <laughs> no, no, no. Rolex Not today. <laughs> want to buy some pegs? <laughs> want to buy a liver? Dave, you're my wife now. I have I can't, My voice is hurting, I can't do the Papa Lazarou. Dave, you're my wife now. No, Dave, you're oh, no, my you wife do. now. Yeah, you two it. clearly can't do it, but yeah, let's go. You're let's my go wife on. now. I can't do it. You're my wife now, Dave. Yes, Dave. Geek Hello, show. it's Dave home. Geek show, yeah. yeah. Not idiot show. You're not League of Gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> the geek show, yeah. The geek show. Yes. Yeah. We're in a movie section this week. We are talking about the naughty. Let's stop them. Yes, we're talking about the naughties. Um, the last decade. Before this decade, just to make that clear. <laughs> I feel there's an in-joke in there somewhere. It's not clear at all. That's how someone described it to me. Oh, what's the naughties? Uh, was that the last decade before this decade? I just nodded and said yes. Sounds like a, a good porno. What? Nobody said anything there. Uh, this is uh, we're talking yeah. about the noughties, which how we're defining it. It's two thousand one till two thousand and nine. It kind of no, gets two thousand to two thousand. That's the one. It gets yeah. all bogged down when you get internet blogs getting confused. Yeah, of what year it is? Because they do. Is, they it, half of them do two thousand one to two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, yeah, it, you know, two thousand to two thousand and nine was the noughties. We're getting pedantic. It's boring. This is a uh, anyway. Uh, this is the movie section, and we talk yes. about those years, two thousand to two thousand and whatever. My brain's not working. Two thousand and nine. And we promise we pl- won't play a limp biscuit. <laughs> You're damn right. Because if you picked it, I'd kick it out that window. I know it's small, but <laughs> rolling. <laughs> You'll make him fit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> If the will's there, it's possible. Oh, but, definitely. Yes. Uh, this is, uh, yeah. We're in the movie section. What types of movie, not what movies, but what types of movie have defined the noughties? That's a loaded question. Well, it's not so much because uh, if you think about, say, the 80s, we, uh, you know, we, we, it's in the name, 80s action movie. Van Damme. You know, so Steven what types Seagal. of movies have actually defined the noughties, if any? American Pie. Superhero movies. It's all been superhero movies. Can they just go away now? Seriously, can they go away? (laughs) I know where they live. I know where they live. I'll come and find you. They've been planned till 2021 so far. And that's just the ones up to now that they've set up. Yeah. (sighs) And that's just from Disney Marvel, not including Fox Marvel. Can I go in in the corner and cry for a bit? And Disney DC. Disney, oh, Disney DC. And cry in the corner about Lost Soul of Humanity. No, no, it's Warner DC, isn't it? Oh, Warner. Yeah. yeah, yes. It has been defined by superhero movies, I think, to a great extent. And mm. to a lesser extent, I think horror has came back around. But the popular, the mainstream, the sort of generation or decade defining stuff is the worst rubbish imaginable. Mm. I mean, take the, uh, what you call the movies, the Haunted House movies, they're all the same. Failing that, it's like gore movies, or what else is there? Final Destination. Gore movies. have to kind of disagree. Well, I'm saying define, and no, I, I mean, I, there's I, stuff that's I, good and stuff that defines it for fans yeah. of the genre, but as a sort of a general blanket term for what defines cinema for everybody, it's those two things and probably a few other bits and pieces. Well, there is one other one that uh, 
uh, that immediately sprang to mind. The teen movies, like, you know, American Pie, they've Road Trip. The, they've been around since the 80s. They ha- oh, they've been around forever. They never really went. Well, I know, though. Yeah, actually, just, probably before that. No, the, 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 actually, but because you mentioned that, there's actually two more that spring to mind. There's the uh, the low-budget comedies, you know, the Ben Stiller nah. crew. That's, that's That's been around since no. the 70s, low-budget comedy. You can't say that's new. Are you sure? Yeah. The fact that it answered so quickly means there's no doubt in my mind, in my half-asleep mind. It must be true. Okay. Therefore, it is fact. So even, this is a hint to listeners, if you want to sound like you know what you're talking about, just answer really quickly and then you'll... I'll be wrong. everybody. That's why, that's why I'm confused, because... Uh... Well, in this case, it's true. Okay. Um, and then you've got the, uh, the Harry Potter type movies. Love them. They're very. They they are one of the one of the. Uh, Besides ones Aragon, well, mm. I, don't I mean, really. there's there's the Lord of the Rings type movies. That was right. kind of really great. It's just big. It's big budget action, which well, big budget fantasy. Stopped. It's action basically. Well, no, big budget fantasy, not action, because action you would define as something like. Uh, I mean, you you could. Ex- do, are I you mean, telling me that Harry Potter movies and action? I'm not saying that. It's at in all. a fantasy world. I'm saying it's that. Action. I'm saying that fantasy. Is its own genre. If you just say big budget action, then I'm people are going to think putting, Harry Potter is suddenly something like Dirty Harry. I'm putting it all in the same sort of field because Harry Potter movies, Lord of the Rings, superheroes, yeah, it's, all, it's all of the same. It plot. has to be in action because there was a car chase in the second Harry Potter. Exactly. <laughs> and the crash into a tree and blamed it on somebody else. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, they're all of the same cloth, really. It's super high budgeted, high concept action fantasy. It's all basically the same thing. Okay. I know people will be screaming at the radios now, but when they sort of car mechanics of these things. Yeah. And the thing about the first Harry, two Harry Potter movies, why did they let the kids do all the hard work? Yeah, this is the It's this stupid. Is the it's stupid. There's, uh, the adults could click the fingers and it'd be resolved, but no, that's those stupid kids who don't know anything do everything. See, I, what, you've uh, learned basic spells, go ahead. See, this stupid is, films. You this can is, defeat Voldemort, young boy. You're just 11. This is the thing. I mean, uh, <laughs> take the, uh, you know... The Golden Compass, yes. or even Percy Jackson, to a certain degree. Oh, right? the books! I love the books. I praise them, but well, I mean the the, the uh, you know the, the books by Philip Pullman for the Golden Compass, the Northern Lights, and uh, mm-hmm. the Amber Spyglass. Yes, they were great. I didn't like the the movie version of the Golden Compass that much, but no, it was compromised. At, yeah, it was compromised, <clears throat> but at least you know she wasn't. Uh, you know, she was in a situation that was completely different to Harry's, and she wasn't left to do all the work herself. Yeah. You know, at least the polar bear got to fight as well. There is one superhero movie that really stood out for me when I was younger. The Hellboy ones. I loved Hellboy, especially the Golden Army. Because they don't really fit yeah. in with everything else. The more sort then, of fantasy horror than comic book. I know it's based on comic book. Yeah. But the thing but is, all the comic book movies are basically the same. They're just different superpowers yeah, in different cities. Technically, Hellboy isn't really a superhero movie. No, not really. You know, um, super villain, if anything. He's a very small margin off that. I mean, he's well, the son he, of the devil, isn't he? Yeah, he's the son. Of, he, he's mm. he's the super anti-hero. Yeah. In effect, exactly he wants to be good. For, he wants to be good because he's born from evil. Mm-hmm. His blade and uh, spawn are the same. Yeah. Sort of anti-hero cloth. Oh god. Yeah. It's but they they just didn't have the charm that Hellboy has. No. no but no. that was mainly because Ron Perlman is like the, one of the coolest men on the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It's just, and he was brawl bright as well, if anyone's read the books. Hellboy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was brawl really well. Is there uh, is any other sort of inclusions that you want to suggest where I can shoot them down? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll think of some. 
I know that uh, you know the CG movie has been around since like the mid nineties. Uh. It was uh, Tron was the first CG movie, and that's yeah. seventy eight, I think. No, Tron was the uh, early eighties, wasn't it? Uh, it's old. No, I yes, think. it was around about seventies. Was it the seventies? I'll ID and be it. I thought Tron came but, out after Star Wars because Star Wars ni- was nineteen seventy nine. Regardless it? of it, it's all it's not new. The CG movie. I think what's new is. Uh, it's like a film that's been out in America that's got absolutely panned. It's uh, R.I.P.D., which is basically there's an old '80s movie called Dead Heat, which is uh, somebody who is abusing uh, the ability to bring back the dead, and there's a policeman who's trying to get his revenge on that thing. But oh. R.I.P.D. I think it's based on a comic book, and it's like a whole world of super monsters and whatnot in a police department okay. who kills them. And the problem with that is. Everything CG. There's no reliance of any, on anything actually concrete. Mm-hmm. All of the effects, all of the important stuff is done on a green screen, and so it, it just feels very false. I wasn't that, so much talking about that kind of CG. That's the nasty side of modern films that May, kind I, of defined I, what I we're should, doing now. I should have said CG animation. Oh, I've seen the film that you were talking about then. What, RIPD? <laughs> yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, it bad. is. Uh, I was bad. talking more about CG animation. Tron was is, made in the 80s. Even so, I was right. Even so, it was the early eighties. It was nineteen eighty-two. So I was only one. Might year as off. well have been the seventies. I was only one year off. Yeah, yeah. But the CG animation—it's just because it's yeah. been around since the mid-nineties. Toy Story. Yeah, um, but it's in the last decade. It's really exploded. It's not really. No, care. Gen- well, I mean, if you look at all, all animations, animation—you can't say it's defined and just because they use well, a computer instead of a pen. I'm not saying that. I'm saying. Um, before, say, the year 2000, mm-hmm. there's only really Pixar doing, you know, these... Not bi- really. uh, the Who else it was, was doing uh, it? the people who did Ice Age. They started... Dreamworks. The late 90s. No, it's Blue Sky, I think. Blue Sky. They started pretty late in the 90s. Dreamworks started in the late 90s. But it really sort of kicked their head <laughs> now. But. Sorry, I'm laughing in my head about Dreamworks. It it's, sounds... I'm not even going to get into it on the it's, radio. It's, yeah, it's just animations, animation, you know. It's mm-hmm. pen or pencil or computers. I shrugged my head there for listeners. I, 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 I don't know. I, uh, being an animation junkie, yeah, I, I tend to disagree. Well, you're wrong. Rob so. saying that uh, animation is just animation. No, no, no. I'm just saying that as a sort of uh, pithy point, but it doesn't matter if animation's done by a pen or a computer. It's... Mechanics are basically the same, it's just the production process of how these bits are put together. It's you're picking on. You got out the wrong side of the bed today, didn't you? I've been with a nine year old kid who's been calling me the worst person in the world for two days. Oh. So yeah. What did you do? I didn't do anything, I just stopped picking up everything in the shop. Ah. (laughs) So yeah. That'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Oh. Uh, pick of the geek, or yes, pick of the geek. Let's uh, let, let's get uh, let's get off the subject. Uh, your top three movies from the noughties. Uh, I thought it was defining movies. Defining movies, yeah. Well, I'll go with one first. Uh, Wreck. Not in the sense that I mean uh, one of the defining things of horror in the noughties has been found footage, and it's all been awful. Really, they always have one scene or one thing that sort of betrays the continuity of this is a guy in the film mm. using the camera yeah like by having a tripod and lighting over in the corner or a boom mic dropping down <laughs> like that. but uh, Wreck is 
good because it showed that that sort of thing is viable as a means of telling a horror story. Yeah. It's terrifying as well, which also helps. Uh, what else is there? You two go, I'll think of some other good ones. Um, Chris? I'm going to say... I'd like to think... No, I don't think Dogma was... I think it's in 98. 2000s. Yeah, yeah. All right, like Clerks 2. How Do- so? Dogma wasn't 98. Dogma was after the uh, Millennium. Was it? Ah, oh, whatever. Yeah. It's Kevin Smith, it's awful. I'll go with Dogma then. And Clerks 2. I don't think you can do that. No. <laughs> it's for the basically the same reason. Yeah. We'll just bracket Kevin Smith. I love him. I want to give him a hug. And, oh God, who else? I, I loved The Philosopher's Stone. Still do. To this Harry day. Potter. Yeah. Harry Patel. Potter. Oh, no. Dogma was 1999. You were no. right. No. Oh, I was right. Oh, you were right. Anyway. Uh, never got Clerks 2. Clerks 2. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. Harry Potter. Uh, Rob? No, uh, I, I'm not getting anything. Oh, Watchmen. Watchmen? I loved Watchmen. Because I would have said Batman Begins. No, I loved Watchmen. Like, Batman Begins is a great movie. It's better than the third one. And the second one's obviously better than the first one. But Watchmen I preferred over Batman it's, Begins. It's it's it's, it, it's it's a terrible movie. <laughs> He's far too... Uh, Precious with the right the actual comic book, mm. he adapts everything, and it just it's not good for that. That's my opinion. I mean, yeah, you find yeah. that you like it. I'm proud I that you know. like it because it's just such a hard film to like. Yeah, mm. I generally love it. Like, I love the book, and uh, I was quite surprised by the film. It really like. Well, I'm glad it's appreciated by people. Me. Yeah, it's such a brave effort to make something like that. That yeah, especially fans to keep it alive. From Dave Gibbons' artwork as well was spot on. Hmm. Yeah, true. Like, they, they stayed true to it somewhat in there, and they got some other people to come in, do some artwork and whatnot. Right, so, I've got Wreck. And I will stand up for Wreck 3 Genesis. Yeah. Lots of people hate on that movie. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, just because it showed it can mix... It's 2002, I know. Yeah. But uh, the reason is, it's one of the best zombie movies you're likely to see, and also started this sort of thing of... Uh, comedy movies mixing with genre movies yeah. to really good effect. I mean, Dogma is part of that, and it was before that. But when did there's loads of these things that sort of float around, and I think Shaun of the Dead is the best of them. Yeah. When did Tucker and Tale vs. Evil come out? 2010. Oh, I think just outside. Yeah, uh, that's one of the sort of offsprings yeah. of it. I loved uh, it. What else is there? Hmm. Rob. Uh, well, Batman Begins was my first, was one of the ones that I would say because it it took a, a dying. Franchise and oh, yeah. gave it and saved it and chopped off those nipples. Yeah, it, it just gave it a totally new lease of life. Hang on, hang on, you said chop off those nipples. Yeah. Chopped off those nipples. Yeah, it's okay. the bat nipples. I'm uh, half delirious, so yeah. <laughs> push a button, spring out. It it proved one thing. Uh, Batman can be a badass. Well, it's not just that. It proved that the superhero franchise could actually do proper uh you know in the right hands in the right hands the superhero franchise could actually be a proper film and not just a glorified uh, bout of fan service i was gonna say a toy commercial aha uh-huh. sorry I got, everybody. Got one. I got one just dreadful uh love exposure Ooh, because it's four hours long because it's nuts <laughs> and because it's it's ingenious watch it and that is now on my download list it's four hours it's, it's just one of these films that if you get it, you're going to be a fan of it for life because it's just one of those 
once in a lifetime kind of movies. Ooh. And I know it's defining a generation or decade, and that doesn't really do that. But it's just one of those films that it surprised me. Yeah. And it films don't do that. So um, I've got another one. As much as I hate, as much as I don't like, I, I don't mind it, but I don't like it, right? Um, but I think it it pretty much single handedly saved the uh, the waifu type kung fu movie. Led Crouching, on seven. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And he's punching in the balls. It's actually an okay film. It's nineteen ninety eight. Is it? Ni- is it? No, it's not nineteen ninety eight. It's not in the nineties. It is in the nineties. Hold on, we'll find out. It came out. While you I like was Crouching at- Tiger, Hidden Dragon? No, I said I uh, I I don't mind it, but I don't like it. But it did pretty much push the push the whole kung fu movie back to the forefront of cinema. Mm, I wish it didn't, because it's an awful movie. When did uh, Fight Club come out? I think that's 2001. I'm yeah, not that's sure. a good one as well. I love that film. Um, Welcome to the We Can't Quite Remember the Year It's Our Show. <laughs> and we don't know. <laughs> Pick of the Week is like 10 films each, maybe. Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out in the year 2000. Yeah, that's a very sketchy thing of years. Because that's uh, blur, blur, music, blur. <laughs> It was okay somewhat. Ooh, it, it wasn't great, but it wasn't Supremely average. R- really good one. Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, yes, that is a good one. Because it pretty much cemented Guillermo del Toro's Devil's status. Backbone. I'm out hipstering you. <laughs> <laughs> you can if you want. I was just going to say, it's a pretty much cemented... The shirt just appeared on Rob. Yeah, no. And some glasses. <laughs> is that a fedora? <laughs> oh, I wish I had a fedora. <laughs> <laughs> Only one per group. <laughs> but yeah, Pan's Labyrinth Awesome film, yeah, and they pretty much cemented Guillermo del Toro's status as oh, uh, definitely uh, as a real kind of uh, visionary director. I love how he still uses props like made by people, yeah, like scopes, yeah. You know, everything. You know, Pacific Rim. Those uh-huh. kaiju are real. <laughs> Just loads of guys in a in suit. Case you, in case no, none of our listeners <laughs> like have realized. Season one. Yeah. In case none of our listeners have realized, we're all fans of Guillermo del Toro. Oh yes, we are, and giant people in suits. Uh, did yes. you see his reaction on YouTube to the life-size Gundam that was in Japan? Yes. Oh, it was so good. I even felt happy watching him and his reaction. <laughs> I he know. Just, he just he, he just went nuts over it. Ah, my face little. I was like, oh, look at how adorable he is. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> look at the fat little Mexican. Isn't he cute? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> that's, basically what that's basically what you're saying there, Chris. Fat Pretty Mexicans... Much. The moral of today is the geek show. That's like the Sesame Street thing we're going for there. <laughs> Fat Mexicans are cute. <laughs> and the letter is F. Yes. Right. On that note, I think we're going to have to take a break for a song. And this is one that Chris chose just for you, Rob. But before that, the lovely Harry Bentley has interviewed a geek band from Portland, Oregon. This is him talking to Angela Weber about the double clicks. This is the Geek Show interview with Angela Weber from the Double Clicks. Hello, lovely to meet Hi. you. Hi, <laughs> wonderful to meet you too. Mm-hmm. You have just released a new album. Uh, it's yes. called Lasers and Feelings. It it's really lovely. Um, I think you put it best on your website that the way to describe your music is um, was it sweet, geeky, and um, snarky, snarky all at the same time. Yes. Do you still feel that yes. that was for your initial album? Do you still feel that is a true way to represent your music at this point? I think so. Um, we are sort of just singer-songwriter music, and we're sort of comedy music, and we're very geeky. How long have you two uh, been in the band for? 
Um, the Double Clicks officially started in name in 2011, but we were making music before that for a couple of years, mm-hmm. just sort of playing at open mics around town. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 2011, we really focused. We got our domain name, and we started making weekly YouTube videos and stuff like that. That's cool. How did it? Uh, how did you two start out working together? Um, like, what, like what brought it about? Sure. Um, I had moved to Portland, Oregon. We're from the uh, East Coast, but I moved to Portland, Oregon for college, and Aubrey came out after she was done with college. And I hadn't really been doing a lot of music, but I was taking um, poetry classes mm-hmm. and being forced to write poetry that way. And it was a liberal arts school, and we took ourselves very seriously. Um, and then Aubrey plays cello, and she was playing with a lot of folk and rock bands because everybody in Portland needs a cellist in their band. Uh, and she sort of encouraged me to uh, mess around on the guitar a little bit, set some of my feelings to music, um, and then we would take it out to the open mic, and people really enjoyed it because it's a little bit of a break from standard singer-songwriter, my life is really sad sort of music. Mm-hmm. Um and that just encouraged us to keep going and get a band name and make an album. And then we got to start opening for people like Paul and Storm and Will Wheaton and the rest oh, is wow. history. Yeah. We've shared a bill with Jonathan Colton because we were on his boat with him. Uh, how did he it feel? introduced us. It was awesome. <laughs> pretty impressive thing to have on your resume. Yeah. As far as geek music goes, it's pretty much the tops. So where do you like to geek then? Because there's footage on YouTube of you being at, you've been to conventions and comic book stores, which is an interesting place to geek on there. Yes. Um, we've, on our tours, um, we play at a lot of game stores and comic book stores because, first of all, they have a room where they host games. So there's a place to play. Um, second of all, it's where we love to be. It's people who understand our music. So we'll probably book us. Mm-hmm. Um, more than people who are just like, I don't know what Dungeons and Dragons is. Why are you playing a song about that? Probably no one will come to your show. Um, and it's because it's where our fans like to hang out or people who may not have heard of our music before, but will probably enjoy it. So, um, people who happen to be in the store buying a new copy of Sentinels of the Multiverse or whatever might be like, Hey, a geek band. Let's check that out. Um, so we love playing at game stores. Game store owners are our favorite people in the world. But we also do play at a lot of conventions, which are really, really fun. And we've also, we've played at like Woodstock and, as I said, on Joker Cruise Crazy. And we actually host our own variety show in Portland at like actual music clubs. Oh, cool. (laughs) Nice. So if people want to check you out live, probably wise to go check out Portland. You should definitely go to Portland. And check out their website, of course. (laughs) Yes. So how long has Lasers and Feelings been in the making? Um... Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I say this about every album that we release, but this feels like our first real album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got, uh, and I say that because it's got like drums and actual arrangements and songs that have a lot more musical depth to them than we were able to create with just me not really knowing how to play the guitar and Aubrey very much knowing how to play the cello, but there's only so much you can do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this album we have been working on, um, I mean, we've been working on the songs for it since uh, the beginning of 2012. um, And we went into the studio right after PAX East, which was March of this year. Mm. Um, And then when you have like a real band on your album, you have to like rehearse and 
like mix and there's all of this complicated stuff involved. So it just came out in July. Um, and as an internet musician, I'm used to more immediate gratification after okay. I write a song. Uh, but it's gotten a great um, reception. It was on the Billboard chart, uh, top 10 comedy albums the first week it came out. And we're happy with it. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. See, there has been some definite popularity. I mean, the your video for Nothing to Prove, which is so good and a really great message. People should check it out. It got me kind of eye-watering. Um, oh, it got about half a million views in just a couple of days. It's it's not been up for very long. Did you expect it to get that big? Not really. Um, we debuted the music video at Comic-Con at the Wootstock show with Paul and Storm and Will Wheaton and Adam Savage. Um, and that was where we sort of first realized, like, people really like this. This is going to be a message, but it was, it was, it was definitely not expected to get that big, um, which has positives and negatives, obviously, but, uh, we're really, really happy because it's really less than being our music video. It's just a collaborative project with all of these geek girls and nerd celebrities saying what they want to say about this issue. Um, and through it, we've been raising money for app camp for girls, which teaches, uh, girls from like seven to 10, I think how to program computers, which is amazing. Um, and it's been spreading a good conversation. We made a geek girl video Tumblr, uh, so people can tell their own stories. And today somebody just made their own fan tribute video with their whole full length with their own signs. It's amazing. So I'm overwhelmed by it, but I'm very happy. That's great. I look forward to seeing how much more comes out of it in the coming days. <laughs> yeah, me too. And you're currently wearing the T-shirt that goes along with the video, which is the thing that raises money for Africa Girls. It's yes, such... that's right. There are no fake geeks, only real jerks, which is the uh, the signs that Josh Kagan, who helped us come up with the concept for the video, held up. And the T-shirt's designed by Caitlin Hansen, and it's so pretty. I love it. <laughs> it's such a great design, and like I said, great message along the goes of the video. And you guys can check that out for T-shirts and tote bags. Yeah, tote bags. Why wouldn't you want to talk back? Um, check out Lasers and Feelings. You can check out that and several other albums on the DoubleClicks Bandcamp, which is linked from their website. Is it just double, the DoubleClicks.com? The DoubleClicks.com. Everything is there. Twitter, Facebook, Bandcamp, iTunes. <laughs> Go there and find all the lovely things. Um, and you're all over YouTube as well. And you're going to Gen Con. So be there or be round. Because we're all square anyway and we like it that way. I will see you guys in cyberspace. I'm Christopher Sabat, the voice of Roanoa Zorro, and you're listening to The Geek Show on thegeekshow.co.uk.what up? Yes, we're in our game section. We're talking about the noughties. What games have defined the noughties then? Kingdom Hearts. I don't know. <laughs> Team up is very silly question. What, what games? I'm straight know. in there. From from 2000 to 2009, what games for you? From, that's a different question altogether. Like World of Warcraft defined the nineties. Was Halo in there? Yeah. Well, it wasn't just World. Uh, yeah, World of Warcraft, the rise of the MMO. That, yeah. I mean, if we're talking types of game, okay, PC, let's talk. M- PC MMOs. PC, uh, well, just MMOs in general. Because no, like the uh, the next generation, the console MMO is coming to be a thing with PS4 and Xbox One. Interesting. And that's new, that's brand new. That, But in PCs, yeah, I think noughties with World of Warcraft and all of its, all of its brothers. 
Hmm. Because for me, Okami was one of the ones. Oh yeah, I mean, but generally, as a everybody mass market, yeah, gamers as a whole. Okay, right. Okay, yeah, let's yeah, split this up into two bits then: type of game and then game. And then a Halo as well, obviously. Yeah, first person shooters like in a big for, bad way. Yeah, not really. Much, I remember really. like Doom and stuff from like the nineties. Nineties, it was Doom, uh, over bits and pieces, Wolfenstein stuff like but that. The jump. It was a massive jump, though, to Halo, from Doom to Halo. Mm-hmm. There's a huge technical leap in terms of what just the scale of what you oh, could do. Oh, definitely, and popularity as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Halo was the first time, wasn't it, when you could actually get into a vehicle in a first-person shooter? Yes. And either drive it or, or, fire. or, or use the mounted cannon on it. Yeah. Well, there's lots of things that you could probably yeah. pick as defining. Well, I think Halo for first-person shooters. Oh, no, I, mean, I don't mean as in first-person shooters. I mean, there's different markets... The geek market kind of embraced a Halo, whereas in the sort of average Joe market embraced the Call of Duties. Well, Call of, uh, well the thing is, uh, the average Joe market embraced Halo as well. Yeah, I know, but generally speaking, its appeal of uh, Call of Duty is much broader. It is now. It wasn't back then. I'm not getting into it. <laughs> I, I remember, uh, the thing is, because uh, I got Halo when it came out, and uh, in the queue ahead of me, was an entire was basically a cross section of modern uh, of society as it was then. Yeah, you know, you had your geeks and you had your jocks and you had your chavs and all the rest of them all just ahead of me in the queue to get Halo in their tracksuits. So you know, Halo had more appeal than people give it now. Give people now look at Halo and say, yeah, it's a sci-fi first-person shooter, and you know, it's aimed at a specific audience. But back then, it was you know, nobody really bothered with that sort of thing. I mean, we're, we're talking, what, 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Fair enough, yeah. But first-person shooters ha- have pretty much conquered most of gaming. I know, and I think they're all terrible. Nah, that's not fair. It's just my opinion, really. 90, like, you know. About 95% of them are terrible. Yeah. Like, one good in a year. <laughs> but, uh, Maybe. Another thing that uh, kind of... Uh, another type of game that defined the noughties for me was the... Uh, the big sprawling, uh, not not the JRPG, but the big sprawling, you know, go wherever wherever the hell you want. Oh, yeah, free to, free, well, free to roam. Like Skyrim and, uh, you know, and Oblivion and think, Morrowind, you know, those I, sorts I, I, of... I disagree, I think, in a more specific way, I think it's that sort of game bleeding into the mainstream, where you have a character and there's RPG light mechanics where you can have upgrades of your guns, of your abilities, their new skills. It's not really RPG, but you earn enough points and you spend them here and there. That sort of thing has just gone everywhere. Yeah, over the, la- over, over the noughties, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, no, but that's not like a, a specific type of Morrowind or Skyrim type of game, because they were going on in the 90s, them sort of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but not, that sort of, not to the same scale. Oh, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, games obviously get bigger as time goes on, but yeah. that sort of sensibility where you can customise everything about your character yes. has become everything in all games. Yes, I mean, it it has. even in sports games, it's the same. It, it is. Uh, Customisation is actually, yeah. Gone you, ab- you can get different types right. of shin pads. Yeah, he's absolutely right. You can I get think, different coloured boots, oh, different shin pads. I picked up a football game or a football since I was maybe 10. Yeah, like the latest SSX, which was awful, by the way. Mm. It's like uh, you use different uh, bits of kits that have different sort of positive qualities or negative qualities. Like different, like a, a nasty cast where there's lots of ice, you use a certain board. 
Overcast, who's a is flat and not to jumps. He was another bard, and he sort of makes them match your customizable skills and kit. That's everywhere now. You can't escape it. Yeah, I mean, if you've got an open world or anything remotely sort of non-linear, it's there. Yeah. What about uh, games where you've got ju- where you've got like kind of a few tiny little creatures to kill, and then it's just one big boss character that you fight for hours? Legend of Zelda. That's every that's, God of War. That's been there yeah. forever. It hasn't been there forever. Well, it's been there as long as I can remember. It's I mean, what, like, what you usually ha- what you usually had was like a whole level of tiny little things and a big boss character at the end. Zelda. But mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. God of War. Nineties. Which Zelda? Ocarina of Time and that sort of thing. Which no, are oh, mascot, oh, that sort of thing. Zelda's been going on for years. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It still used the standard RPG yeah. format of going around, kill little creatures, mm-hmm. level up, that sort of thing. God of War... Well, high basi- containers. Yeah, God of War came uh, came around, and all of a sudden you were basi- basically thrown straight into boss fights. Definitely. Boss fight after boss fight. Oh, uh, well, not to uh, uh, sort of build on your point. Cutscene, not cutscenes. Uh, oh, what's the term for them? Press square, a big square pops up on screen. You press square. Uh, oh, quick set. time events. Quick yeah. time oh, events. Those Everywhere. Been, those have been around since. Yes, Shenmue. I know, but that's like sort of replacing boss battles now. You have a quick yeah. time event. I mean, uh, Far Cry Three, you have uh, events where you have to have a knife fight with somebody. Yeah. And Ma- instead of actually doing that knife fight in a sort of organic way, you have to sort of match the button presses. Yeah, and Metal that has Gear, replaced yeah. a lot of boss battles. Metal Gear Rising was another example of that. Yeah. Suga M Five as well. Yeah. And uh, Kingdom Hearts Two. Yes. God of War is the worst at it, though. Yeah. I mean, why do people like God of War? He's a terrible... He's not a character. They didn't really so I don't like... Well. I made a bad mistake once, so I'm going to destroy all gods and all people. Yeah. And rip their heads off. Rawr! Look at me and my white skin. It's his, terrible. His white and red skin. It's all, it's all the same game. Each and, the first two, it was fresh and new, but now, yeah. it's just dull. Stop it. Yes. What, I isn't agree. there news that sort of... Uh, is it Studio Santa Monica? Sony Santa Monica? Yeah. Uh, on about... Uh, Announcing a new game, I think so. Yeah, it's going to be another God of War, isn't it? Because when, when you get right down now, to it, really why? boring. There's now six why games. Why can't it be a character who is out to kill? Thing is, him. Uh, the thing is, how long does the Kratos saga have to have to last? There's been six games already. He's pretty much killed everybody but twice. Isn't he right like now. a god now? Yeah, he was at the he, end of three, and then he killed a god he wasn't supposed to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> took his powers off him. <laughs> stupid, stupid series. Hello, Zeus. Ugh, goodbye. Was he going to fight the Titans next? I would say stupid. Was he games. fought the Titans? Because after a while, I just gave up. That was yeah. the t- end of two, wasn't it? Or yeah, I think so. Where he was climbing. On- yeah, that was the big selling point of three, yeah. where he could climb on the backs of Titans. Oh, I mean, nice. the thing is, if you look at uh, if you look at that, and then you take something like Shadow of the Colossus, uh-huh. right? I preferred the mechanics in Shadow of the Colossus to God of War. It was less True. story, but it was just the devastating consequence of you are killing these huge, beautiful creatures for solely. Yeah, selfish, selfish reasons, selfish, purely selfish reason. reasons. That it didn't tell that he just sort of inferred that. I need that. to go yeah. to Taco Bell. Where'd that come from? <laughs> I have no idea. So if you held your sword up in uh, Shadow Colossus, and there was no Colossus, it took you to the nearest Taco Bell. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> which is Manchester. Okay, <laughs> well, it's excellent. Then you got games like Okami. Uh-huh. Where it was, well, that was an oddity. It's what was it? Uh, Clover Studios. Yeah, it, th- it was trying to use the PlayStation controller in a way that the PlayStation controller hadn't originally the been analog. intended to use. Yeah, well, that was the well, 90s, though, wasn't it? This is the thing. It wasn't the first game to do that. I remember playing it with Crash Bandicoot. Do you know the first game to do to try and use just the analog sticks to control all the action? No, we're the first person shooter. Nope. 
Pog. It was a Namco game. It was that Death by Degrees. That was mm. terrible, wasn't it? It was an awful game. Wasn't that the one that was Nina Williams on a sort of cruise liner killing everybody? Yeah. And it, it was the first game to use uh, just the kind of twin sticks to try and control oh, everything. And the thing is, it was really, really tricky to get hold of. And nobody liked it because it was just kind of, yeah, I'm using the twin sticks. But if you gave it a chance, yeah, it actually kind of grew on you. So mm-hmm. if you played it now with the sort of thumb skills that people have developed, it'd be fine. Maybe. It, it might uh, you might actually see it as a, an adequate game. You right. wouldn't call it awful. Yeah. Mm, okay. Fair enough. That's what I'm saying. It, it was a, it was a bit. I think it was a bit too ahead of its time. Pick of the geek. Um. Yeah. It's pretty hard because I don't think this has been a particularly good decade for games. I no. know it, like technology's risen through. I don't know exponential limits and new things nuggets. are possible I every I I corner, but. Good titles, ti- good titles. I mean, if we, if you're talking about, I mean, the game that for me defined kind of tactical espionage for the last decade was Subsistence, Metal Gear Solid Three. Wasn't that like a, like a add-on pack? It's not a full game. No, the fu- the, the Subsistence, Subsistence was uh, was the whole thing. It was yeah. Metal Gear. It was Snake Eater, but it was Snake Eater with extra bits. The best that Metal Gear Solid as well, so that also yeah. helps. Um, but it was it, it was uh, it was a long way ahead of a lot of the other kind of you know splint, the Tom Clancy splint, Splinter Cells and stuff like that. But Splinter Cell also, well, it's a different thing, isn't it? Splinter Cell, you know, it's uh, stealth, but it was much more arcadey in the fact that it was all levels and yeah, it was all quite linear through passages, and you had to pick your way. High Lord Dark Light through passages. Yeah, it's not quite as huge military base. Go anywhere and do stuff. I think that's number four. I'm thinking of there. Hmm. Are we allowed to pick card games? Three. You can do. Oh, interesting. You can do if you want. I don't mind. You go for the card game. I'm honestly really second card game Munchkin. That was enjoyable. Uh, video games. Kingdom Hearts 2. Is that Naughties though? That was PS2, wasn't it? Yeah, PS2. It was Naughties, yeah. Okay. Uh, Sukaden 5? Maybe. Grand what, Theft Auto 3? Grand Theft Auto 3. That was oh, Naughties, yeah, wasn't it? Definitely, yeah. That, that, that basically redefined. Uh, I think a it was lot the 90s, wasn't it? it no, did. Grand Theft Auto 3 was the Naughties. Driver was the 90s. Yeah, 90s is a long time, though. <laughs> I don't think... But, honestly, I don't think I could pick anything. It's, it's person... Our personal opinion, because you can pick the, the big sort of grandstanding generation defining stuff for everybody, but that's not necessarily true for me. And I just... I can't really For me... Okay, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna get, I'm just going to throw out three that really kind of defined the noughties for me. Um, Ico. Again, mm-hmm. I think that's 90s. Ico wasn't 90s. Chris, yep. IMDB, your thing. <laughs> what, what is the name of this again? Ico. Ico. Pretty sure that's 90s. Well, we're going to find out. But uh, I should pick something, really, shouldn't I? It is the Geek Show and Games. Yes. Uh, ooh, let me think. Let me think. 2001 you know, it, and 2002. Well, I thought it would be 90s, because yeah. it's so archaic in its style. But the thing is, it, it was really simple and really beautiful, and it showed that you didn't just have to have like 
all guns blazing or sports or you know the typical kind of fantasy RPG stuff in, to, in order to make a game great alright is everyone ready yeah here it comes it's loading it was for the Playstation 2 and it came out in the year 2001 didn't I already say this? Two different sources <laughs> I've been proved wrong by. So that's, yeah. Uh, but in England, it came out in 2002. I already said this. But, uh, yeah, um, the other two. Mass Effect. Because it proved one thing. It proved that the whole principles of fantasy RPG, stuff like that, could be applied to sci-fi and made to work so. properly. What about oh, Half something? Half-Life? Half-Life, yeah. Half-Life was an okay one. No, uh, in your last one? Because we are running a bit long here. I'm going to go with Okami. Uh, fair enough. Okami because, again, it's one of those games that pr- that proved you don't have to do what other games are doing in order to make a, a great game. Yeah. You can be imaginative. Uh, I've got nothing. I don't think the noughties has been good for games at all. Technology, great. Actual, literal, hands-on copy game. I don't know. Oh, no. I'm just going to be Not repeating even Deus Ex? I'm not gonna, just going to be repeating myself. Even what? Even, not even Deus Ex 2000? Not, not really. Is that 2000? Yeah, I, I don't 2000. feel comfortable using that because it's so fine to the 90s. It might literally be in the noughties, but it's just so close and so long ago, it doesn't feel quite so... It was a 90s game that released in 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the sort of thing. The thing is, you could pick all sorts of games that kind of broke the mould. Oh, yeah. During the nineties, because but it's more sorry, breaking. During the but is the game actually you know good? Because the first sort of prototype the, for a new style is usually quite rugged and rudimentary. Well, and it's not quite thing. found its place. Grand Theft Auto Three was rugged and rudimentary. Mm-hmm. It hadn't quite found its place, but it laid the foundations for loads of games that we play now. Oh, definitely! I loved going to that spot in the hospital to sniper and bazooka things. You're a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I've got nothing. Um, then you got like the Guitar Heroes. Oh, I won't call I them good games. games. They won't call them games. I hate that thing. I won't, I won't, I'm not going to say what I think of them because I'd probably insult all of our listeners best. So <laughs> that's that's just, I've already done that already, pretty much. But. You know that stuff that you step on that dogs leave behind? It's yeah. worse than that. Yeah, it's that time when I missed the toilet with the Matrix. Guitar Hero was the next doll doing his business. <laughs> Can uh, <laughs> and rock and you know Rock Hero, whatever it's called. What's it called? Uh, the Harmonics Alternative. <laughs> oh, Rock Band. Rock Band was stood there watching. There you go. <laughs> That's my analogy for sorry the Guitar Hero <laughs> fraternity. Oh, I hated it so much going in game shops and just seeing people playing it for ages in the stores. And I'll all say I'll say something right. Um, the Guardian. I've just been looking at this. The Guardian had like their top fifty games of the noughties. and according to a vote that they did mm-hmm. for their readers, their number one game of the noughties was Half Life Two. Again, that's sort of a nineties thing, isn't it? Well, no, because Half Life Two was definitely the noughties. It was smack in the middle of the noughties. Mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah. Got his really old hat graphics. Doesn't feel that present. Because there was Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 Episode 1, and Half-Life 2 Episode 2. True. Yeah, fair enough. All of which are available on the Orange Box. What's the top five, by the way? Just The top five. Uh, they had Half-Life 2. Um, let me just find uh, the rest of it. Uh, where are we? And from their, ten, then from their ten, number ten, they had 
Civilization 4, this is as the Guardian readers voted, uh, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, yeah. Bioshock, Resident Evil 4. Um, Nick and that, Bioshock, I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto Vice City, uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, which is still very, very good. I prefer uh, the radio stations. Portal, Fallout 3, and World of Warcraft at number 2. Okay. So it's the big bad number one? It's kind of... Half-Life 2. It's kind of uh, safe, but there's nothing you can Half-Life really disagree with. with. Yeah, there's nothing that I, I, I'd really disagree with on there. But, uh, you know, Half-Life 2, I can't really argue with. It was a hugely popular game, and uh, it did... You know, it did push the boundaries of kind of first-person storytelling. Yeah, it annoyed me. Big walkie-legged things I couldn't kill. Well, I mean, it, it kind of... That's my description. The thing about... The thing <laughs> I about never liked, completed one of those games. I just gave up after a while. The thing I liked about Half-Life 2 was it kind of picked up the gauntlet, uh, the gauntlet that uh, Deus Ex had thrown down. Uh-huh. You know, uh, which it, not even Human Revolution picked up. Hi, I'm Niall Mater, and I play Evan Cross in the upcoming Primeval New World. Uh, you might remember me from Eureka, and I used to play Zane Donovan. And you, my friend, are listening to The Geek Show. Then this week we are talking about the noughties, but in this section we're kind of taking a bit of a, a breather from that to have a go at some reviews in that. Yeah, we're going to have a go at them. Yeah. Uh, but first, Brilliant. I think I'll, I'll lead the way on this one, because I've got quite a few things. I've got a Kick-Ass 2 and... Two releases that are out on DVD and Blu-ray Monday, uh, Deranged and uh, Simon Killer. But with the big release of the week, it's it's Kick-Ass too. There's no real evading that. And uh, at the end, of, this is a spoiler review. I have to sort of preface that if you haven't seen Kick-Ass, you're probably not going to really. But anyway, let's go ahead. At the end of Kick-Ass, uh, Kick-Ass kills Red Mist Daddy, bazookas him into the middle of New York or Vancouver or whatever it's supposed to be. And uh, everything's happy, old days good, Big Daddy's dead, you know. It sets up a blank slate for this sequel. But I don't really think that is the case because the story of these characters has kind of reached its natural conclusion at the end of Kick-Ass. So what happens with Kick-Ass 2 is possibly the most tired and bored sort of stereotypes that you find in cinema. Uh, Mindy, or hick girl, is of the age where she's going to high school. So instead of her being like this really cool feminine like, girl superhero, I mean she's the closest the uh, superhero sort of market has got to a, a female superhero that's actually worth anything because there's nobody else out there. And instead of embracing that, the really what they do instead is they put her in high school and have this mean bunch of kids sort of mock her and she has to deal with it, but she doesn't want to sort of become a superhero anymore because she promised Daddy, her words. And on the other side, there is Red Mist, who has now renamed himself something unrepeatable on radio. The Mother Lover. Yes, the Mother Lover. And he wants revenge on uh, Kick-Ass. Now, Kick-Ass has got this group of uh, superhero friends, including Colonel Stars and Stripes. Which Super is Jim, friends. Jim, yeah, Jim Carrey as oh, Colonel God. Stars and Stripes, which is a great role. But like Big Daddy in Kick-Ass before it, it's totally underused and he just dropped pretty quickly. And uh, the Mother Lover has his own group of supervillains and it's all about the sort of reacting and playing off each other. And the problem with it, apart from it being just really tired, bored stereotypes, all the best stuff is sort of second-rate rehashes of the best stuff in Kick-Ass. And I think that's ultimately it. it it doesn't feel like a film that's trying to be its own thing. It tries like a film that's sort of trying to cash in or ride on the coattails of 
an ambitious, but, you know, ultimate fit. You know, it was a failure, but it was ambitious failure, the first film. And it's trying to sort of be that, but it doesn't have anywhere near the sort of staff out power or, or quality scripts or anything that of as near a high standard. Hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's got stuff to enjoy. There's the sixth stick, which is just pure out dumb comedy. And people like that, but for me, it's just boring. No more kick-asses. They've got like five planned, haven't they? And they'll be terrible, and they'll be on DVD straight. And the Hit Girl movie as well. It's going to be like Rambo all over again, isn't it? Yeah, because Hit Girl's got her own comic book out, so that's obviously going to lead to its own singular movie. The thing is, it's just not as subversive as it thinks it is. It's a ten-year-old girl murdering gangsters. She's uh, not going to stay ten forever, though. That's, that's fine, but as a 15-year-old, boring. Yeah. It's yeah. just boring. Similar as that. I mean, people will love it, but for me... It's one film too much. Kick-Ass is a good standalone film. It doesn't need any more. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, next. Yes. Uh, next is a uh, release from uh, MVM. Uh, Inu Ex Voku SS. Or The Dog and I Secret Service. Hang on, what? The Dog and I Secret Service. Okay. Right. Cool. Uh, <laughs> it's a start... <laughs> I don't really know how to process that, but go on. Uh, it's a story about uh, Ririchio uh, uh She's a half-human, half-demon high school girl who has transferred into room four of the Ayakashi Mansion um, because she wants to live alone. Uh, she wants to be independent, and she's always worried about not being able to talk to other people. And through various means, she um, is assigned a Secret Service agent... Uh, called Soshi uh, Miketsukami. Uh, now, they have very much the kind of master-servant relationship, right? He is always saying, yes, I, it's my duty to serve you, it's my pleasure to serve you, blah, 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 blah. But he does it at some of the most inopportune times. For example, when she's about to go to the toilet, he's outside holding her hand, kneeling on the floor, you know, saying, yes, I will wait for you here forever, that kind of thing. Very clingy. Uh, very clingy. Yeah, yeah. He's very clingy. Um, he's a bit like a Labrador, a big, dumb Labrador, which is why, which is where the dog bite, dog bit comes in, okay. because he'll, he follows her around, keeps her safe, but also has no real kind of concept of common sense. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it... it the thing is, it's it, technically this is a, this is a slice of life romantic comedy, but it's got a more of an emphasis on the comedy. You know, I've got to say it's actually quite enjoyable. There's a, there's a charm to the series, um, even though it has a tendency to introduce loads and loads of characters and not really do much with them over the call, over, for the majority of the series. Well, loads of pings do that. Yeah, um, it is still a charming series to watch, and it was a surprise because I didn't actually expect a show with this many bishies because it is heavy with the Bishonen. That's beautiful boy, the, isn't it? Yeah, the Bishonen is strong with this one. Uh, seriously. Okay. I didn't expect a series with this many bishies to actually be uh, uh, to actually be charming and cute and funny. You know, it's a bit like, um, oh, I've forgotten his name from uh, Fruits Basket, the, uh, he's the snaky fella. He never watched it, so he has no concept of common sense, and this is a bit like that. Isn't that a bit of a stereotype, though? In 
anime. Well, no, Bishy's... Uh, no, I mean the no common sense thing. The no common sense thing is a, it's a stereotype in anime, but it re- they don't really apply it to Bishy's that often because okay. Bishy's is supposed to be like the model student, the perfect human, that sort of thing. Right? That's why they're Bishy's. Okay. But, uh, you know, you get the odd few who are brilliant just because they're so outlandish. They know they're beautiful and they play on it. They actually work it and do crazy, stupid things. Uh, you can't say work it because I think you work it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's, that, but that's the whole point. They do work it exactly like oh, that. Okay, okay. You know, they know they're beautiful. Um, the guy from Fruits Basket, one memorable scene from Fruits Basket, he's basically. Um, a bunch of students have been caught going into a red light district and he's trying to defend them and he says to, he's talking to the uh, the governing body of the school and he's saying you should forgive these students because this kind of thing is a natural thing therefore they should direct all of their lust at me and then it suddenly goes, <laughs> in, uh, it goes into like you know a super powered speech mode <laughs> yeah I know sort of thing but that's one though yeah. that's in but the anyway, fruits basket that's, is it, is it, that, that's fruits basket um, it can't actually. This kind of reminded me a little bit about Fruits Basket, but without the soft focus, um, uh, without okay, uh, yeah. without a lot of the melodrama. Um, it's it's a strange series because there are a lot of Ayakashi uh, in this. There are a lot of kind of uh, supernatural beings. Now, one of the problems with the series is that when you watch the English dub, right? The English dub they've done what I uh, they've done what I have been encouraging. Dubs to do for a while. They've used the Japanese terminology when they have no English equivalent. The problem is the actors themselves don't really have; they're not really familiar with the Japanese terms and what their actual meaning is, right? And that that causes problems. It's like when you have, uh, say, you're an actor and you're reading a script, but then someone throws in a few foreign words, and you you kind of know what they mean, but you're not quite sure, and that comes out when you're playing the role. It's a bit like that, and it causes problems with the English dub because you, it, when they're saying things like ayakashi, it kind of stands out. That yeah. the, you know, it's not a natural thing. You can tell that they're being careful to, to enunciate the words. You don't have the same problem with the Japanese dub. Um, the script isn't too bad. You know, the dialogue is. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of decent banter in this between uh, specific characters. Um, the animation is pretty mundane for the most part, but there are some decent effects in this. It is a, a supernatural based show after all. The artwork is pretty standard affair, standard affair uh, lots of issues. Um, some interesting flashes of invent- inventiveness when it comes to the, uh, to the Ayakashi themselves, uh, to the supernatural beings, sorry. Uh, decent audio effects, decent choreography, and overall the music is pretty decent as well. No real down points, but no real kind of uh, no real, nothing that really captures you. As yeah, well. yeah, it's um, consistent, but not. It's, it's consistent. The world fire, no. Exactly. Um, with the characters, because there's lots of characters, it kind of takes away from the focus on particular ones. So there's not really that much development or growth until the last couple of episodes, when they try to tie up as many loose ends as possible, and that's what actually saves this series from being mediocre. Okay. Is the last couple of episodes because then lots of lots of things happen, lots of revelations happen, and lots of loose ends do get tied up. Um, and it actually puts the rest of the series into a different context. It's you start understanding why certain characters act the way they do. Unfortunately, that only counts for a certain uh, for a couple of the characters. Um, overall, this is actually a series worth watching. It's one of the better series 
that's come out in the last uh, that came out last year. Okay. You know, uh, Inu Xbox Secret Service is out from MVM. Um, so it, it's a soft it. it's a soft recommend. It's a soft recommend. Uh, it's out. It's already out from MVM uh, on DVD. The price is twenty nine ninety nine, um, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a uh, fifteen certificate, or, tw- okay. uh, or maybe a twelve certificate. Okay. So yeah. yeah anyway, fine. moving on. Uh, I'll do a double bill. Not really related as a double bill, but I'll do a double bill anyway. Uh, the fir- they both come out on uh, Monday, which is the nineteenth. If you listen this back, you know after it's been broadcast yes and uh, the first one is Simon Killer it's uh, on Eureka's Masters of Cinema uh, label and the basic uh, conceit of it is Simon is a American sort of uh, science student he studies the eyes biology I should say he studies the eyes and he goes over to France because he's uh, Paris in particular because he's had a particularly messy breakup with an ex it's never really explained as to what he did but he's, you know, he has really, he has contact with her through emails and phone calls and stuff like that. But the reason for him going to uh, Paris is to get over this mess. And at first he does the typical touristy things. He goes around the places, he listens to his sort of cliquey, sort of uh, eccentric music taste, which provides a pretty, pretty cool sort of backdrop to the movie, which is usually made up of quite pretentious mu- mu- uh, music for stuff like this. Uh, but it takes a while to get going, and... The basic sort of thing of this, it's not really story-driven in a traditional sense. It's more of a character study as the more goes on, the more you realise how bad his relationship is with women and uh, asks questions like what really happened with his ex-Michelle and just why does he treat women with such disdain. And one of the problems is it's got quite a hefty relationship with sex and the idea behind these scenes is to sort of make it awkward, sort of. Uh, it's got a very frank relationship with the with the subject, but the problem is you get that picture after about four sequences, you understand what it's trying to do, what it's trying to be, and then it keeps on putting these scenes in. The mm. problem with it is these scenes stop the per- the person of the film dead. But ah. The thing is, it's a very strongly directed film it's very colourful it's got lots of nice little visual touches music scores good everybody performs fantastically well and it's just one of these films where it's not so much a great uh, film on the percent on the pretense that it's it's a complete product as a sort of thing where you can see these potential you can see he's a really talented filmmaker it's an interesting film to keep an eye on and uh, Antonio Campos he's called is a director to keep an eye on and uh, the other one is Deranged, which you couldn't get further away from if you could try. Uh, Deranged is based on the story of Ed Gein, who was a very, very famous uh, murderer in American well, contemporary history. Uh, he's had lots of films based on his legend, uh, Psycho, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, oh, what's it called, uh, the one with... Oh, forget that. I can't remember the name of the movie. Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And this one, it takes on his actual story. But instead of calling him uh, Ed Gein, it renames him Ezra Cobbs. And the basic story is he's very close of his religiously... Zeal- like, <coughs> very powerfully... Str- oh, you know what I mean? She's... How oh, can I put it? She's a religious person and she he looks She's down on the world because of it. A zealot, that's the one. Thank you. Uh, she's like that and she dies and he takes to it bad because it's the only person he knows and at first he tries to get himself involved in sort of normal society but it doesn't really work and he snaps 
And under cover of darkness, he goes into the local cemetery, digs up his mother, puts her in his living room, and sort of talks to him as normal. And as time goes by, he gets more and more depraved. He he digs up other recently deceased women and sets them up in his living room. And eventually he gets a taste for living women and starts murdering them, getting younger and younger and more beautiful and beautiful. And uh, the thing about this is it's such a strange, strange little film. And I love it because of that, really. Uh, it has these little bits where it has a local journalist who sits in the scene with Ezra Cobbs and says, this is the moment when this happened. Oh, he gives sort of a contextualisation mm. behind the action. And it doesn't try to... It's all in scene, it's all in camera, and it's just such a, a strange little quality to it. Uh, and also, it's got a sense of humour about it. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but apparently one of the legend the parts of the Ed Gein legend is he basically told everybody what happened to the people who gone missing, but nobody actually believed him. And that I think there's truth to that. If that's true, okay, it's quite true to the legacy. But the fact is, it uh, it uses that as a sort of source of comedy, and I think the reason for that is the guy who plays uh, Robert, who plays uh, Ezra Cobb's Ed Gein, whatever you want to call him, mm. uh, Robert's Blossom. It's a role which you know in this sort of low budget horror movie, it's going to be universally badly acted. But Robert's Blossom, the only way to sort of describe him is frighteningly authentic. He gets the sort of nervy guy who's not very good in public mm. uh, to one tier, and to the other end, it gets the really psychopathically depraved uh, end on the other scale. And it's really brilliantly acted. I mean, it's a solid film on its own, but he yeah. he takes it that notch up. And it's just a beautiful transmission, uh, translate, not, what's it? restoration. Yeah. And there's a bit in it that's infamous. It's the brain scooping scene. Yeah. And to see that in glorious HD is <laughs> disgusting. And it does everything you need it to be as a horror. It's it's fun. Two great titles. Yeah. Both out on Monday. Anyway, uh, final review. Uh, sorry? No, just go on. Continue. Yeah. Final review. Um, Payday 2 by Overkill Software, released by 505 Games. Um, now, uh, Payday 2, uh, if you played the original Payday, well, Payday 2 is... Bigger and better and badder, right? But it has <clears throat> one one huge problem, which I'll get to in a bit. Payday 2, you have a team of four. You go and you start committing bank robberies or jewellery heists or, you know, you start off with, like, really low-level crimes. You go in and rob, like, convenience stores and stuff like that. Um, the thing I like about it is the fact that it, the emphasis is on team play, Right. Um, there's a skill tree as well. It's actually it's actually quite a complex skill tree that you can use to develop um, your skills in particular fields. So you can be like a ghost, or you can be like a, a safe cracker, or you can be a, an enforcer, or something like that. Um, and you basically scale up the jobs the more mm -hmm. notorious you get. And you do this using a thing called CrimeNet. Now, CrimeNet is basically like a social network for criminals. And different people oh. post different jobs <laughs> that uh, you know that they want done. That's not realistic. You get closed down in a second. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, you use CrimeNet to accept jobs, and then you go. And the the thing is, if you, it's one of those games where that I have always liked. Uh, it's one of those types of games that I've always loved. The ones where if you don't have a plan before you go in, right, if you don't go out and case the joint first, and then. Develop, uh, develop your plan there and then 
you are going everything is going to go pear shaped very so, quickly as far as a sort of comparison point is Rainbow Six Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six sort of the more mainstream end of this sort of yeah but Payday 2 is better because it's more immediate right Rainbow Six took time to kind of time for the plan to go haywire all you need in Payday 2 is one guy who doesn't do what he's told and then everything goes wrong and then you've got armies of SWAT outside shooting you (laughs) coming in through the windows (laughs) coming in through the back door sounds fun (laughs) right (laughs) <laughs> all you need is one person just to be in the wrong place or you know be a bit too trigger happy I've, and everything goes wrong very quickly and then that, uh, it's just run screaming that entire uh, thing was just a run for an innuendo and I, yeah, I, I've heard that uh, one thing is sort of randomly generated yes how it can the, change every single playthrough well Ooh. this is the thing um, you could have the same the same kind of setup it'd be like the same store that you're going to that you're going to but it might have more security guards and the cameras might be in different places the safe might be in a different place or someone might be you on know, the phone or something you know, somebody like might be on the phone somebody you know uh, there's loads of different things and it adds this kind of intensity because it's always different it's always fresh um the skill tree uh, you know it adds that depth to the game that you that you really want you know you can be better in this particular thing or this particular the thing customization uh, yeah, again. The customiz- customization but it's better to customize in this game it's better to be good at one yeah. thing and have the rest of your team good at the other things because if you can form a complete team you have a better ch- better chance of getting off uh, you know pulling the heist off there's uh, if you do if you you know some missions you are going to get uh, you are going to get police involvement so there is going to be okay. shootouts and the sh- and the fir- you know the shooting mechanics are actually pretty good one of the big pro- you know the sound the audio is brilliant in this you know the rifle effects and everything like that the shoot yeah. the explosions the guns everything is good one of the big problems uh, is that the artwork outside of these buildings is great, but when you walk inside, it's like you're walking into a completely different game from like ten years ago. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a problem. It, it, it's really Unless strange. you're sort of very focused on the graphics. The, the quality of the graphics outside is beautiful, but when you walk into, say, the Pear Store, as it's called... <laughs> Okay, <laughs> right. The pair store. When you walk into the pair store, it's suddenly like you're in Grand Theft Auto Three. <laughs> it sounds like the new Grand Theft Auto game. It's there's a, there's a lot. Of, it's on a lot of consoles, though, isn't it? So, it it's out. It's out on pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, but the big problem with Payday Two, right? Do not ever, and I mean this ever. If you were planning on doing this, don't bother. Right. Okay. Don't play single player. Well, whatever you do, do not play single player. You will you you'll find you'll find that you're barely able to complete any missions. I don't think that's a problem with that game in particular. It's more co-op shooters as a sort of a genre. Thing is, I don't even know why the pit single player mode was included in this game. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's a, <laughs> okay. lonely people. That's a genre-wide problem. It's not Payday yeah. Two alone. Well, the, the thing is, Payday Two. If you want to enjoy it the most, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to have fun with it, and if you want to hear your friends run screaming from SWAT, going or just going, I'm dying. Everything's going black. Everything's because it does. When you're dying, it goes blurry, and then th- things start to fade out and go to black and white, and then That's you just cool. stop moving. It, it, and you basically see it happening, and you're like, No, help me! So it's not jam face mode. No, it's not jam face mode. You'll be screaming <laughs> down your headset. Someone come and help me! Someone Medic! save me! It will be like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the real things about enjoying this game, playing it with your mates. So it's a rec- it's a good recommend. It, oh, Strong definitely. Recommend. Strong recommendation for Payday 2. It's, Excellent. It, it's easily one of the better co-op multiplayer games out, from, out for this year. Excellent. 
Very good review. Yes. Anyway, um, we're going to take a break for a song there. Uh, have Genki Rockets with uh, Breeze. But before that, we do have another interview. And this time, Harry is interviewing Morgan Boisher of the What's Normal Anyway webcomic, which is all about being trans male. It sounds fascinating. Have a listen, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, this is the Geek Show interview with Morgan Boucher, creator of uh, What's Normal Anyway, the webcomic. Hello, lovely to finally meet you face to camera to screen to face. Yes. <laughs> nice to virtually meet you as well. <laughs> fantastic. Um, What's Normal Anyway is a fantastic series, and you're finally kickstarting a book for like a physical printed collection of it. Uh, yes. Can you describe to people at home, like who haven't checked it out before, what WANA is and what they can expect to see inside of this book? Sure. What's Normal Anyway is a comic about being trans male, which I started um, a few months after I came out as a trans guy myself. And it um, began as a, a way to tell my own story and sort of journal about my process and uh, share that with the community online, which had helped me so much in my explorations and figuring out my identity and the steps moving forward to transition. And uh, What's Normal Anyway is doing this through a fictionalized story of Mel, who is a young trans man who's coming to terms with his identity and um, finding some support from friends and also encountering other challenges um, with people who don't show up the way that he hopes they do, such as his family. And um, it goes through his foils trying to find a therapist who's supportive and um, who can pers- who can um, recommend an endocrinologist who can then prescribe hormones. And um, so it, what's normal anyway, essentially, right, tells this, this narrative of someone going through this female to male transition. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, the aim of it is to be funny about it too, since so many stories about trans people uh, end up being very heavy-hearted, and I really wanted something that was more light and humorous, and still captures the uh, complexity of the transition in in clever ways as well. So this is the comic that I really would have loved to find um, when I was coming out. Mm-hmm. Let's see. As you mentioned before, the uh, comic has a really good blend of uh, Mel's story as well as humor. Um, but I find it's actually really useful as just a resource because Mel goes through a lot of things which other trans people will have to go through, like where on earth do I start with this? What kind of doctor even deals with this? You know, and I mean, the comedic but kind of understandable situation of a sex doctor, surely? Oh, not that kind of thing. To... <laughs> but you know what? That one was actually a true story. That one actually did happen to me. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> it's, it's understandable. Like, where do you start with this? You know, it, it, it yes. does. It's hilarious, but it makes sense. <laughs> yes. Well, um, yes, a lot of this uh, comic has been very reflective of my actual experience. And through that, um, perhaps it can be a good resource. I just want to be clear that I'm not an expert in any way about what the proper way to transition would be, where the best places to go. I mean, I, I love to help out by um, telling this story and, and telling my own story through it and uh, explaining some of the, the foils that I've encountered. But um, 
yeah, I, I guess I don't really like to promote it as a resource guide just because I don't want that to, I don't want it to be an educational piece. I want it to be primarily entertainment. Mm -hmm. And, um, while I'm happy for people to find it useful and, and find like other, um, ideas and resources for a transition through it. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me, Morgan. Uh, it's been fantastic meeting you. Uh, and yes, people should check out the Kickstarter. It's going really well. I hope you overfund like crazy because fill in all the extra things. Get so, you can get some really nice perks as well. There are some lovely perks going on there, like drawing people individual comics, I believe, uh, sending postcards. Are there any particular perks that you think were really that you really want people to get so it'd be fun to do for them? Or yeah, I hope somebody donates or not donates, but contributes $500 because then I get to be their pen pal, uh, which would be a lot of fun. We have at least five pen pal exchanges, and um, I can write letters and draw comics for them, and they can tell me about their life, and I can tell them about mine, and yeah, it could be like more of a personal connection. It would be fun to have that with a reader. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that would definitely be a fun one to do. <laughs> Let's see, upcoming conventions. You're, you'll be at the Small Press Expo, as you mentioned yep. before, hoping to debut the comic there. And uh, people should go to Small Press Expo anyway, because I'm envying Americans right now. There's, there's you going there, there's Erica Moen going there, and oh, goddess that she is. And is there anything else that you want to say to your fans who are watching this? Just thank you so much, everyone, for uh, sticking around for this interview. And to those of you who read the comic, thank you, thank you, thank you. You uh, have made all of this possible and um i can't express my gratitude enough for all of you and thank you especially to those who leave comments and send wonderful messages to me on facebook and email telling me about your own lives and how the comic made you feel it's really the most touching thing i can experience thank you fantastic and on that note then it's uh, been fantastic talking to you i'll leave a link here to the kickstarter and we'll see you guys in the future Hi there, I'm Robert Rankin, and you're listening to the the Geek Show. Oh yes, uh, animation section Hello. now. We're in Geek we? Show. Yes, we're in animation. the animation and graphic literature section. Um, this is the ghost of the Beatles. Yeah. What types of animation, both east and west, have defined the noughties? Well, western. It's just reiterating the same five superheroes over and over in animation. Well, yeah, Western. I think, see, I think. well, as we were saying before, I think CG animation. Yeah, I mean, the worst is that is, what is it called now? Beware the Batman or is it the Batman? Oh, God, that the makes me want to shoot one. myself in the Oh, that, that's Beware the Batman, is, is that Because there's been so many. Because there's just so it, many new Batman series, it's kind of lost the point. It's now. rape in childhood everywhere. The good one was the one that went, The Batman. That was the really gothic one, wasn't it? That's a really vague description of anything. <laughs> the Batman, yeah, I know which one you're talking about, where, like, Batgirl was at the beginning, and then it went on to, like, Robin and well, the yeah. group to be Nightwing and all sorts. But, but yeah, that's been... Yeah. And they went from 20-minute episodes to 10-minute episodes. That's pretty much been the Did thing it? with Yeah, Western eventually, like, towards the last season, it became, like, 10-minute episodes. It was really disappointing. It wasn't yeah. doing so great as well. That's an It thing, was just yeah. there for, like, yeah. people like Batman, so they will pay to watch Batman. Yeah, yeah. it's been quite cynical. So, There's like, that, it went from... Yeah. A good idea to just a money-making project. Yeah, there's that with like superheroes. Lots of the same thing. Yeah, just different style of art. But oh, <clears throat> this time they went horrible. Like they took Grant Morrison's characters, Professor Pig, and all sorts, and the weird Toad guy, and they just destroyed them. 
Batman mm. looks ridiculous. Uh, has anyone watched the episode? Because uh, I watched no, it with no, my niece, no. and it was horrendously awful. I'd advise everyone to never watch this. Uh, also, Western, I think, uh, The Rise of Adult Swim. And, yeah. Uh, what's that? Is that the card, the website, the channel? Yeah, Adult, Adult Swim. Swim. I think yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, it's The Rise of that. And sort of an alternative and to... And the cartoon cartoons as well. An alternative to the sort of adult comedy. Yeah. Besides South Park, Family Guy, that sort of... Yeah. Well, I mean, Simpsons had always uh, Simpsons had always uh, yeah, no, but Simpsons uh, had always been there. It's a genuine alternative in adults. Yeah, film. not all of it's good, but the good stuff is great. You know, Archer, you got yeah, you got things like Archer and the Venture Brothers and stuff like that. Oh, I love Venture Space Brothers. Coast, coast to coast. Metalocalypse. Oh, that one. Metalocalypse. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> what, uh, what was that food? Alpha? It's t- I don't like that one. I can't remember. Yeah. It, was, it was really weird. That that meatball and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's I can't remember the title of it, but people know. Yeah. And, oh, God, who was The Trailer Park Boys? Yeah, yeah. That was a great show as well. Yeah. Eastern, though, that's a bit more of Great film as well. I totally yeah. forgot they did a movie as well. I'm not sure. but uh, yeah. Eastern. You know, you probably disagree with this, but this is the decade where it became a huge multinational sort of organisation, like a business. I mean, the product that was being pushed out in this decade is not quite as strong as it was in the 90s, but easily yeah. not as strong as in the 90s, but as far as the numbers of uh, products, the shift, it's just a whole new ball game now. Um, I, I agree and disagree with you on that one, right? The, uh, there's a reason why, right? Um, for me, the noughties has been has been the decade in in Eastern animation that saw the rise of high school harems I think and lots and lots of fan service. That's commodif- been getting more commodification of the industry. Uh, yeah, commodification of the industry. Um, it's all about merchandising. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, they've uh, basically taken... Perversion. Uh, well, no, it's merchandise, not perversion. Well, it's perverse oh, merchandise. Huge <laughs> amounts of it. Yeah, but that's the thing. Look at this pillow, they it has an arm. And l- let me put it this way. The, the studio executives yeah. don't actually care as long as they're making money. Of course. Which is well not, it's like the Weinstein things which I won't get into because I hate it, them. That's what oh, I mean. Right. It's, it's like they've taken the worst parts of Amer- the American entertainment culture, uh, business culture, mm-hmm. and applied them to anime. And that is exactly, pretty much exactly what's happened because you have... A lot of executives over in America, where mostly, where you know, outside of outside of Japan, most of the anime gets licensed in America, yeah. right, by companies like Funimation and stuff like that. And you've got those studio executives who work for companies like Funimation. I'm not saying Funimation are a bad company because they're not. They're just one of many, really. They're just one of many. They're the, the, biggest, they're, they're, they're the biggest. But the thing is, uh, they get all these licenses across, and because of the influence that they have and the sales that they get, or that they purport to get. Mm-hmm. Um, I still do not understand how anyone can like a show like High School of the Dead, which People was do, released. Though, the comparator Romero, which I, I, just, I just no, the comparator Romero, just because it's the, got man-eating zombies, they in. don't get Romero if they think that's anything like High but School. But that's of what the I'm Dead. saying. They compare it to Romero just because it's got man-eating zombies, in. that is the only basis of their comparison. Quick question: I know you never really had a long time with High School of the Dead, but is it fast or slow zombies? Fast. And slow. They're slow. Are they slow? In general, they well, at least slow. that's one thing to get right. Yeah, like, I've seen they're one not or two. fast. I've seen one or two. They're not fast. A little bit pick it, up it, no, they're not fast. They're no, slow. that must be just the breasts. The, it, it, it might be just the physics is way way off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing to get right. It's a slow zombies. Yes. So it's a star. Well, anyway, the, this, the zombies are slow in High School of the Dead. 
Um, shame that physics doesn't work for everything else in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Why do they not touch your knees? Yes, I know. Um, what is it? Two fried I, eggs hanging off a nail? <laughs> yeah. Got oh. milk. I've got something to tell Anyway. <laughs> what do you hate the most that's affected, like, you know, from anime, from, like, comics? Well, not from comics, but, like, from Western animation to eastern animation that affects people in general like simple things as catchphrases noises dressing clothing I, I think you hit it on the head there that's what anime has become what I hate is Nya that noise that girls make Nya Nya it's the cat thing isn't I've it I've never wanted to drop kick people in the throat more Pregently converted, son. Pregently converted. But yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's all catchphrase. It's all it, easily it, digestible. Just don't do it around me. Things. It is, and this is the thing, right? Ugh, um, so when awful. you said about the global about the globalization of anime, it is true. It it it, 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 ha- it did happen during the noughties. It's hit its peak now. Though. Yeah. The problem is that uh, the problem is that what the foundations that they laid <clears throat> during the mid nineties. Which you know, pretty much everyone who has who was around you in the mid nineties agrees it was a golden age for anime. Oh hell yeah! You know, yeah, yeah. most of the best shows that we remember came out during the mid nineties. Oh definitely. You know, um, it was the golden age of anime. Yeah, golden age, yeah. Uh, the golden age of anime. Yeah. You look at uh, and those foundations were pretty much ignored in favor of crass consumerism. Mm-hmm. Right now, somebody at some point made the decision. For that to happen, and whoever did it, I'm sorry, but whoever you are, impel yourself of a sword. No, 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 no. Just come to England. Let us meet you and take you up to kind of Eston Hills, and then just, let me impale them with a sword. No, no, no. Well, we don't want to kill anyone, but I do want to. You know, I do want my knuckles to hurt for at least a week afterwards. I like the sword. No, we don't want to kill anyone, but uh, he does deserve he he does deserve a severe beating. Well, what if he doesn't much, die? What, well, here's the thing: what the, what these decisions have done, they've basically set anime back oh, yeah. by at least a decade. The entire noughties may not as well have existed. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, there were there were brilliant shows that came out during the noughties, right? But like one out of in 20. terms of public perception, in terms of public acceptability, yeah. In terms of public taste mm-hmm. and decency, the noughties might as well have not existed. All of the hard work that was put in during the 90s just it, destroyed. It has, has been destroyed over the last decade because somebody made the decision that crass consumerism was the way forward. It's not exclusive to anime. It's, it's not it's exclusive to anime. This uh, um, commodification of global industry. Hmm. It's, it's worldwide. Movies, music... I mean, how the hell can it's an anime happened, like Queen's Blade get made? It just happened to anime because it's the newest. Yeah, exactly. But how the hell can things like Queen's Blade, High School of the Dead, Icky Tosin, um, what was it? Uh, Is Black Butler an anime yet? Because we started Black selling Butler, that Bla- awful merch. We sell the glove. Oh, Black Butler. I don't mind Black Butler. Oh, right? It's just it. kind of the bishy fan service type, you know. And by fan service, I mean it's for all the girls who go, yeah, Kyah! all the time. Those exist, though. Yeah. Those people. Yeah. We could, they come in the store all the time. I am physically pulling back say, violent traits uh, all and, the time. And, and, and they, surround, okay. they surround the bishies. They surround the bishies and go, oh, he's so hot and oh, things no. like that. And it's a fictional character. It's not real. It's a drawing. How can you be attracted to a piece of drawing? Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> still, still can't. I don't find drawings attractive. I know, but that's always the answer to that. Yeah, sort of Jessica argument. Rabbit is the answer. 
next people will say Miss Piggy. Okay. <laughs> there was a hesitation there. <laughs> what happened? Now you're just being weird. <laughs> oh. And I actually know that fella. But, uh, um. Define it, though. <laughs> Let's get back onto the okay. matter. Um, Defining examples of anime in the 90s. Well, the types animation. that defined Eastern animation, anime in general, in the 90s, obviously, high, high schools, harems, mm-hmm. fan service. Well, noughties. The, the noughties, sorry. Those are the things that came out the most. Those are the things that, were the more, that they said were the most popular, but actually weren't, Right. People this year, uh, I don't know why they have this thing saying, oh, we need to attract the younger audience. Keep us interested. We're the ones with all the cash, not some teenager who still has to rely on his parents for bus fare. Exactly. There on you the, go. The, I said on, it. On the positive side. <laughs> so, Rob, when am I getting side. my bus fare? <laughs> You're not a teenager. I know. On the positive side of the spectrum. Yeah. It's, it's, On the positive side yeah, of the spectrum. Because there is good stuff. There, there, is a, there, there was still plenty of good stuff that came out during the noughties. So it wasn't all doom and gloom. There's some fantastic shows that came out during the noughties. Um, and I don't mean Code Geass or Death Note or any of those. Just Let's not guys. get into them. Oh, we should do a show on overrated stuff. And that'd be definitely because everyone comes in and screams, "Oh, light is so hot! Oh, Ellie's so great!" And I'm just like, "Ellie's not great. Light is not hot." I know. They're just drawings. Stop, please. If you come into the store, we, we found your kryptonite. <laughs> found my kryptonite is customers. Oh, well, that's a good thing in the shop business. But uh, pick of the gig. Oh, don't we, get wrong. I love them? the nice ones. Oh well, that's the easy bit, isn't it? You love the what? The, nice- the nice customers, you know, the ones who generally have a conversation, reasonable, polite, you know, have an actual conversation that doesn't lead to a fictional character being overly the top attractive and making me feel uncomfortable behind the counter with what they're saying. Uh, I think, uh, pick of the geek, should we go for? Yes, I think we, well, uh, we're coming up to the end of the show, so yes, uh, pick of the geek. <laughs> so what's... Um... I'm not even going to touch What's this one. What's the scar, Jeeves? I'm going to have to go with Monster first. As top, a, three, top three anime of the noughties. Uh, yeah, oh, animations a, of the noughties. Naoki Urasawa. Naoki His art style is very much of the 90s, isn't it? It's not a very... He doesn't try to stay with current trends, and I think that's well, admirable, uh, really. This is the thing. He, he didn't bow to, he didn't bow to any, uh, other people when they said, oh, your artwork isn't really going to appeal to anyone anyone in this you know in this age he went he basically told them to go take a running jump yeah that's that's cool of him are we including sort of animated movies in this or yes it it's just... any type of animation go for okay. it western or eastern uh, I want to go for this is it favourite or defining because that's, that's a hard distinction up to you oh, you... favourites let's go for something American just because it's sort of uh, satirizes and homages my childhood yeah. and makes me feel terrible about it. Uh, but Robot Chicken, it's yeah. Seth Green, who was in Family Guy as Chris, he went and did his own thing with uh, Robot Chicken and it's hilarious. It's a very, very good show. I'm looking forward to the superhero one that's coming soon. There's a DC one which is great, frankly. Yeah. Let's uh, think. West, Eastern, no, there's so many things it could be. Uh, let's go for Morabito, that needs some love. Yes. Uh, the one which is uh, held up as an example of how to do a female character in anime. Balsa is arguably the finest female character in anime. Fine, as in 
well well constructed fine, fine, the bits are nice or well no, drawn fine as, fine as in uh, fine most realistic oh, fine as in the one uh, you know fine as in the one who could uh, kick your backside mm-hmm. you know with one eye closed and one hand tied behind the back um, fine as in more, most realistically drawn as well yeah because the area of the world that she's from, they put a lot of thought into the character design for Balsa mm-hmm. as well. Um, that's why I say the finest, because a lot of thought has gone into her character and how she is and who she is. Keeping yeah. that fame up, though, it's another sort of underappreciated one. She hasn't got a distribution deal over here, which is sad, but uh, uh, Michiko Tohachin, is that the one? Michiko Tohachin, yeah. It's the one in Brazil, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or oh, the Brazilian type country, anyway. Yeah, yeah. But that is a, a great story, yeah. and it's got a powerful female character who is beautiful, but there's more. Beyond She's that. more sassy with it, though. There's more beyond that sort of surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, yeah, she is a lot like that. Um, so yeah, Michiko Tohachi and Marabito and the robot chicken for me. Okay, what about you, Chris? I'm going to have to say, The Dark Knight Returns Part One and Two as a one together. Yeah. That's Superman fight. That has to be super like, cool. It was it was good, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that might be not in nineties. It's like re- most recent, but I'd have to put that out there for a great fine. It's anime, a cool film. Yeah. Uh, for an, definitely nineties uh, animation, I'd have to go with Tenshi GXP. I, it had a soft spot for me. Nineties or noughties? It, it, it was noughties. Sorry. Okay. Noughties and Batman Under the Red Hood. Ooh, good one. That, Very like, Batman centric, you got there. I, yeah. I have to admit, like the movies were better done than the actual TV shows. Like I'm still got a soft spot for the TV shows, but well. when it comes down with those two Batman films, stand alone a great. That Batman Begins says no. Well, <laughs> can I have a ten? There's uh, there's also oh, one three, Batman three, Year three. One. Yeah, the, the Frank Miller one that was also a really good one, and the artwork for artwork in it was spectacular. Right, keep okay. it a three. That's Rob. four. I'm oh, sorry, my there's bad. There's so many I want to. There's so that's many the, I want to mention. That's why it's the pick of the gig, the best of the bunch. But that's what I mean. There's so many. I'm. I'm just, I've just been looking over someone's four. list and I'm like, oh, I pick four. You I, pick four. Don't go for the obvious ones. Can I have four like him then? He can have four. Yeah, right. Have four. Okay. You've uh, been a good boy, so you can have four. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, mess. Um, right. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna go with now and then, here and there. Right. Uh-huh. Um. It's an unusual sci-fi story about... It's parallel world sci-fi story. Boy goes to a parallel world. But the thing about now and then, here and there, is it's pretty much... It's pretty much the... It's one of the only anime in existence that deals with child soldiers. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't deal with them in the nice way. It is very, very brutal with how it depicts them. Didn't depict them like that in Gundam Seed? Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, but it's not... Gundam Seed is very kind of... It's very safe. Now yes, and then, here and is, there, yeah. is not safe. Very under the radar, yeah. that one. It, it, it's very under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going to avoid Monster Aria and Mushishi, because I always say those. Uh, yeah. Um, where was it? Twelve Kingdoms. Another brilliant female lead character in Twelve Kingdoms, and it is a fantastic fantasy story. It's, again, the other uh, another world fantasy story. Is this much mm-hmm. in the Fate Zero sort of No, mold? it's not. Um, this one is basically uh, the girl is actually the queen of a particular kingdom, but she's a li- she so- has no memory and she's been raised on Earth. Mm-hmm. And then because a fate dip- uh, fate has decided whatever, or you know destiny is whatever, 
she gets pulled into her original world, but oh. two of her friends go with her, and then her powers start appearing, and she starts going a bit mad it's, because of them. It sounds a bit generic, but if, it's you've, actually, if you've recommended it, I'm no, Twelve sure Kingdoms. Twelve Kingdoms is not generic. Well, I mean, at all. this actual story it sounds a bit been there done that, but if it's recommended by yourself, yeah. it's, it's not the case. Um, Twelve Kingdoms. What else? Uh, Cash and Sins. No, no, I'm not going to say that because we always say cash and sins. It's not, yeah, we yeah. try to we always try, uh, blacklist that one because it's too obvious. Right, uh, I'm going to go with Simoon then. What was S-I-M-O-U-N, that? Simoon, okay. right? It's a shoujo eye. Uh, it's a shoujo eye series, right? Now, really? It is. It's no, sh- I mean, really, you're picking that? Yeah, I'm picking it because okay. it's a sci-fi shoujo eye series, and I'll tell you something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sci-fi part, basically, up, it's on a world where everybody is female up to a certain age. And then they go through they go through this uh, they go through this thing, um, and some some then become men, and some stay as women. Sounds right? like splice. Uh, Interesting. Thing is, it's a very uh, war comes to their country, right? Um, and it's the kind of the it's kind of highlighting the distinction between technology and religion. Between science and religion, the oh. whole war between the two. A world away from what you think when you say shoujo eye. Exactly. Yeah. And the shoujo eye element, that is one of the reasons why. It sounds why. nothing like a shoujo. Uh, but this is the thing, it's a shoujo eye story. It's a, 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 you know, it's a shoujo eye story that. Is the artwork very shoujo? The artwork, it, it takes a bit of getting used oh, to. Oh, God, that's off But uh, it is. That's a sign of a good series. Yeah, it? the artwork, artwork takes a bit in getting used to, but it is experimental. And that's one of the reasons why I like it. And, and your last one? The last one I'm going to have to go with. Uh, I can't say Nodame either because I always say Nodame. I can um, say it for you. No, you can't. <laughs> That's fine. Right. You're not allowed that. Oh. <laughs> uh, can I have two more? Very quick. Quick, quick one. All Star Superman. Boom. Natsume Yujincho. If you haven't seen Natsume and uh, Natsume's Book of Friends, then you. Uh, it's. It's kind of uh, a Jose supernatural story mm-hmm. about a kid who has always been able to see spirits and he goes to live in the country with his aunt and uncle because nobody else in his family wants him. His parents are dead. Very mushy. He's, inherit- he's inherited his grandmother's spiritual abilities. But his grandmother had this thing called the Book of Friends and he has inherited that now as well. And the Book of Friends is the names of all these different spirits and everybody wants it. Right? It's, it can dead be quite or alive. Dark. It can be quite dark. But and, uh, last uh, and the last one... Tweeny witches. Oh, it right? sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounds awful. It sounds awful, but it's not. It's very dark, right? Tweeny witches is. It's very experimental. It's very dark for a kids anime, mm-hmm. right? And it's really interesting. Okay. Should we so, put yeah. a list of all this? On we the can. We can put a list of all these on the website um, after, when I get round to editing the show. We got to, you know, spread the love. Yes, we got to spread the love. Anyway, these underappreciated titles. We are actually at the end of the show. We've been The Geek Show. We'll see you all next week after OneCon, because we are going to be at OneCon next week. Peace out. Yes. Yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, byezies.
For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.